I'm going to be over the top. Say hello to the easiest way to find interested and qualified candidates. Dude, you need to tone it down. I was just napping. Uh, you mean Uncommon's automated sourcing that turns passive candidates into interested and qualified applications? Yep. Uncommon automation helps recruiters cut their sourcing time by 75%. Well, how much coffee did you have today? A lot. Anyway, dude, 75%. That sounds like black magic or something. Close. It's called automation. It's simple, actually. You just feed or post your jobs into Uncommon. The platform identifies your job requirements, and in seconds, Uncommon uses those requirements to search over 150 million candidate profiles. And then it pulls back only the qualified candidates. And don't forget, you can connect your email and Uncommon will provide automated outreach with your customized messages to activate those passive candidates, those pesky passive candidates. Even better. I'm going to one-up you. Uncommon shows exactly how the candidate meets all the job requirements with a side-by-side comparison view against the job requirements. Which means you won't be asking yourself, What in the hell is this candidate doing here? No, but you will be asking yourself, where has Uncommon been all my life? Seriously? Uncommon is the easiest way to find qualified candidates, active or passive. Visit Uncommon.co and use discount code CHADCHEESE for 20% off. Uncommon.co Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Pronounce Boacher? Boacher. Boacher. Yeah. Boacher. Because if I do it wrong, I could get Canadian death threats matter, or something. It doesn't matter because we always say sorry Yeah, and this is it's an explicit podcast, <laughs> right. so say whatever we're, you want. All right. right. Yeah. Okay. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Cheese from the Chad and Cheese podcast. Yep. HR is most dangerous. You know us. You love us. What's up? Uh, from the, uh, I don't know, what are we calling this? The uh, the Banff series of podcasts, I think I guess. you call it the Bramp series. Yeah, but yeah it's it, the it looks like a Bramp. <laughs> you know when a girl's Bramp. a Lisa, but she looks more like a Susan? <laughs> anyway, yeah, this place looks more like a Bramp to me. But anyway, Gathering uh, we are honored to uh, welcome to the show James Bocher. Did I say that correctly? You got it. Okay. Damn. Um, we never get that shit. James... <laughs> No one on our show will know who you are. Perfect. So you're virgin. You're virgin territory for everybody it. here. Uh, James is the, quote, custodian of culture and chief idea officer at a, at a fairly well-renowned gelato shop here in Canada. Not in the U.S. yet, right? Not or, yet. And not so much a shop. So, uh, you know, we're in uh, about 3,000 retailers across the country. So you can pick it up and take it home with you. We got a sweet one shop. It's our gelato factory and coffee bar it's like Willy Wonka meets Google so so not not to put the pressure on you but I've been promised that you're the best interview here at the show so oh shoot sorry to disappoint already you have a, a really interesting story of how you got started 
um, your Calgary guy, born and bred, uh, yeah. bleed bleed this city to the bone. Give us uh, give our audience a little bit about you, how you sure. got started, and then we'll go into like the business and, and your employees and, and whatnot. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, yeah, born and raised uh, here in Calgary, Alberta. Huge Flames fan, and um, we didn't have too much growing up. So that's uh, a hockey team. Yeah, by the Calgary way. Flames <laughs> for, for all some the, of those. Down yeah, there we go. The border. <laughs> Stupid um, Americans, I swear. Yeah, so. Uh, my whole life, I've I've sort of had this uh, innate uh, desire to sort of you know go get what I want. Uh, at a young age, we didn't have too much cash, so digging through dumpsters for for coke cans to take back to the bottle depot or shoveling walks was the the real the real deal. Um, Why didn't save food? Yeah, at least you're cans <laughs> no. to recycle. Yeah, I was like, man, this yeah. is a real sad story. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it, it's not so sad. It's just about doing whatever it takes. It's about right? hustling. There you you're go. A hustler from there what I've garnered up to this point. Yeah, so. Uh, uh, always, always doing something on the side, and I started this little design company called Paperback Design when I was in my uh, high school days to help make some money. I'd moved out when I was fifteen, and and kind of needed to to pay rent. And one of my clients was this company called Fiasco Gelato. Uh, fast forward to uh, 2008, 2009, and and the owner of the company was was busy doing other things, and said, "You love this company a little bit more than I do. Why don't you take it over?" Pro- <laughs> problem was, is I had eighteen hundred bucks in my bank account. And, and by the way, we have a lot of, of hip young kids that yeah. listen to the podcast. So something really bad happened around 2008 that maybe created opportunity for you. Yeah. So so I'm about to take over the shop, and and uh, the guy's name's Matt, and Matt says, "Hey, do you want to take it over?" And I'm like, "I got eighteen hundred bucks." So we do a handshake deal to repay a hundred grand over three years and uh, only in Canada <laughs> yeah so I borrowed five grand from my aunt and five grand from my good friend Chris and we're doing some light renovations to reopen fiasco 2.0 and someone threw a brick through the front window of the store before I'd ever made five bucks in the shop so uh, Matt came to me and he still had the lease and insurance in his name and so he much said, for all Canadians being nice yeah exactly I'm pretty yeah. sure it wasn't a Canadian no <laughs> <laughs> one of those tourist Americans yeah. <laughs> flash through I hate gelato. Yeah. Ah. Let's get them. Let's get them. <laughs> Ice cream. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, in this moment, I kind of had to decide if uh, I was going to just let it go or, or sail on and, and said, if not now, then when? So, rebuilt the store and was there for five months and kicked ass. And then uh, the landlord came by and said, great job. Uh, you're going to pay double. And being 25 and not great at math, I still knew double was bad. So shut her down and put everything in storage. So it's one thing to take over a shop and yeah. sell, you know, sugar, ice sugar. Yeah. Um, I assume you had employees. Yeah. We had, had you f- managed people before. Was this a nightmare? Like talk about that. Yeah. You know, I kind of got thrown into managing people when I was uh, in, in high school. I worked uh, at this grocery store called the Badgies and I was the assistant store manager at 17 years old and I had to basically manage people that were always older than me. And and what I learned in those moments was, you know, clear communication being effective. But I also learned that I actually had an innate ability to lead people and, and playing on sports teams when I was younger and, and whatnot. Uh, you know, I started to see this emergence. So fast forward to running my own company and, you know, we had to bring people in and, and no one really knew what the company had from an HR perspective because we didn't. We didn't have an HR person. We didn't have an HR manual. It's just like, do you want to come scoop ice cream? It's going to be a good time. And uh, I think a lot of people came to Fiasco in the early days because the ban- the brand had a bit of swagger to it. Like it was kind of sexy. No one really knew what gelato was still, but they wanted to have the, the tasty ice cream or the unique, unique ice cream. 
But as this whole thing happened, when the fire happened and then we had to close the store, um, it was a difficult time. And I think I learned a lot about how, you know, to let people down easy. You know, I kind of made a promise I would never lay people off. Um, And everyone that worked in the company at that time, we found them other opportunities when when we basically closed it down in 2010. Uh, and then, you know, three or four months later, when I reopened, I called all these people back and said, and we're putting the band back together. Uh, do you want to come join the cause again? Uh, and that loyalty, uh, employee 001, the f- first person that ever worked for me, Brittany Back, is still part of the company today, which is a testament to kind of. Did you say there was more loyalty things. to Fiasco, the brand, or was there a newfound loyalty to you, the new owner, or both? Uh, maybe a hybrid of both that the intersection is uh, a grandiose vision that like if we can dream it we can do it kind of thing so yeah so now you take over store uh, and then something really bad happens natural disaster style right to Calgary talk about that yeah so uh, so shop open shop closes it's like this peaks and valleys of emotion all the time uh, I try to recall those moments of, of how hard it was when I think things are hard now um, but we're we're feeding a lot of, uh, of our fans through restaurants and cafes. And in 2013, the Alberta floods happen up here. So, you know, half the province is underwater. We lose 40% of our business overnight. And accidentally, we put, uh, put it out to the community. We want to help. You know, again, being born and raised here, we wanted to do something and it's in our DNA. So we ended up launching these two glass jars into Calgary Co-op that uh, were called Two by Two Rebuild the Zoo. And Co-op was so ecstatic that A, we showed up for the community and sold 12,000 jars that were all hand filled 10 liters at a time. I saw what he did there with the two by two, save the zoo. <laughs> uh-huh. That was our yeah, yeah, I like that. That's nice. It's That's good. Nice. Hey? <laughs> yes, yeah. He's a good Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> so... So after that, uh, Co-op was like, great job, what's next? And uh, I had this clear jar. I was, you know, obsessed with getting it right and didn't want to launch into grocery too soon because you sort of get one at bat. And when we did, uh, people were ecstatic about, ecstatic about the product. So, uh, you know, that was 24 stores. We were working around the clock. I think one of the things, too, on from a people perspective is I don't know that we would have achieved what we did if people didn't believe in what we stood for. So, so much of our community give back and investment in something that was was bigger than us was, I think, an integral part of why people would work 12, 14, 16 hour days, six, seven, eight days a week. Did you realize that you were creating this like cult brand at this point? I think that I I would have agreed that it was possible. Uh-huh. Like somebody would say to me, you know, like, what's your dream? And I'm like, to be bigger than a Hagen does one day. Like, that's an easy reference point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but as time went on, I realized that I actually, it was less about scale of a brand like Hagen does in terms of reach or sales. And it was more about looking at brands like Starbucks and Virgin and Netflix and saying, how can we actually create a company that like changes the world from an employment perspective? Because undeniably you know we spend more than a third of our lives working um when we go to these jobs sometimes they're real shitty and people spend their whole lives with a third of it being really shitty all the time and i said well what if we just change that and it's really enjoyable and rewarding and you learn how to be a better person in your personal life and you look after all those pieces how does that now translate into changing the world and the communities that these people live in and their families and how they share the story with others and then encourage others to make that same change was there a time as you were growing where the number of applicants that was coming in started increasing to the point where you said 
holy shit, people really want to work here and talk yeah. about that. We we get a lot of people reaching out directly that that are, uh, you know, I'll come do whatever kind of thing. When we put a post up that's specific, like, yeah, the early days like it was impossible <laughs> to get a resume in the door you kind of like had to convince people just to like come check it out you know yeah. uh and what's and, this gelato stuff yeah and one of the most rewarding things now is you know we are sharing this we just uh we just hired somebody new in the position we were hiring for we had like hundreds of applicants come in and then we narrowed it down to like 60 phone screenings and then we got down to like 20 in person then we had a final four and like when you share with those final four people how far they've come because they realized through the interview process it's not like they came in one day and then we said yes or no you know we have a six to eight step interview process they were like this this is actually taught i had one of them reach out to me this week and say that was the most fascinating and i learned so much like i i can't stop talking about your interview process and she didn't even get the job and she's like i just want to stay warm like like meet you for coffee like i'll take any job you got which which is pretty magical when you think about it that you know people are willing to leave the careers they already have or look towards a brand that maybe can't pay as much as you know in calgary like it's it's an oil and gas business right and and the reality is is that we can't pay as much as those companies yeah but so often now people are saying i actually want to be a part of building something that matters so they'll leave an organization like that or they'll take a pay cut or they'll f you know they'll find a way to make it work if did the opportunity did you there. find that as you were doing doing good in the community that the appeal to a potential candidate also <laughs> sort of moved in lockstep with as you were doing good for the community more and more people said i want to work for these guys yeah i i think that uh there definitely would there would be some correlation there um the hardest part about all of that is generally when you're giving back to the community you're activating resource or uh depleting resource financially that you can't pay people so right. i always say like people are really attracted to the funness or the excitingness or the community driven aspect of our brand but the then when excitingness. you're like excitingness there's actually a there's a book at fiasco of words i've made up so we'll just add it <laughs> uh, there's also a cry count but we won't, we'll say that for another <laughs> podcast um but but all of those pieces ultimately attract them mm -hmm. but then there's sort of that cold hard moment where it's like hey, this is really all we can afford and we're very transparent about our finances and so people ultimately have to decide. And we, I, I feel yeah. like we pay well, we pay a living wage, so we, we don't talk about minimum wage at Fiasco because it's literally not enough for people to survive, but we're not paying, you know, $250,000 to... Right. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You didn't go into this to create separate brands. It's like the brand is this cult brand of wonderful, you know, gelato, yeah. and and we help the community, and it's just like everything kind of flows. If you want to be a part of this, yeah. 
right? If you want to be a part you're of either this. either in or you're Right. Out. So it's more of a holistic kind of angle as yeah. opposed to as opposed to trying to create these little kind of like fissures of brand. Yes. And yeah, part of the yes. question would be, do you work to create an employment brand or does it just happen? Uh, it's funny. Shannon and I were just talking about this uh, right before the podcast. Uh-huh. I think accidentally that is like something we've we've created in a big way like uh, a few folks have come up and said, you know, your talk last year was was the most moving talk because not only was it relatable, but uh-huh. it now activated me to go out and say to my employer that we need to do these things. So I think that the work that we've done on that in the company mm-hmm. sort of intentionally, but by accident. And what I mean by that is like we weren't like there was no strategy around it. It was just like this is the right thing to do. So we're just going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, we'll probably find out. But fortunately, like if you if you do the right thing, like it's pretty cliche, but if you do the right thing, like the money's going to come. And if you do the right thing, then you can sleep at night. And if you do the right thing, then your people are going to look after everything. I think Chris or Ryan, one of them were, was talking like, uh-huh. take care of your people and then they'll take care of the customer. Like for sure, employees first, 100% of the time. So for those who weren't at that talk last year, yeah. and I'm sure everyone listening to this has <laughs> not, yeah. give, us sort, of a snap, give yeah, us sort of a snapshot of what you talked about that was so impactful. Yeah, so I, ser- I, sh- I shared the, the origin story of Fiasco, and I think it was you know relatable for, for people in the room that have their own businesses or work in smaller businesses. I think you know at conferences like this, the message that uh, a giant brand might share, like I was in the M&M's talk this morning, it's great, it's inspiring, but I don't know how relatable it is because you don't have a billion-dollar budget to shoot a movie kind of thing. Yeah. And 85% of companies don't. Yes, exactly. C- CGI, some M&Ms or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's why there was, there was a deeper connection. And uh, I kind of brought it back to this uh, pretty important piece that's become part of my journey. And uh, when I was younger, as I, I shared before, we didn't have much growing up and my dad was in these job placement things. But he'd yeah. often come home either overworked or underpaid or, or not, not uh, cared for or whatever it might be. And as I started to build this company, I realized that there was accidentally, again, this thing occurring where every decision I had to make around the people in the organization, there was a simple governor. And it was this idea of building the company that I would want my dad to work for. And so for anyone listening, it could be your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. But we can all relate to that. We can all look back to our childhood and say, what was it like? when my dad or mom came home from work and what did they share with me about their boss or their job or the work they did mm-hmm. and how meaningful it was or how shitty it was or whatever it was. And so now my dad just celebrated five years at Fiasco. And <laughs> ah, no, that's awesome. It's the real deal. He left the, oh, he left the company, worked for, for 18 that years. That is fucking awesome. And he came to me one day and said, the work that I do doesn't light me up anymore yeah. and I can be your janitor and I said I don't need a janitor dad but I need a receiver and he literally accepted not a lot of pay and mm-hmm. a job that he's you know 60 years old at the time probably you know physically can't do at the level he would like to right um, but it's it's black and white every single day every decision is literally like is this decision agree with a company that my dad would want to work for and that's like it's magic in itself so so there's a lot of empathy and humility and and understanding within the organization when it comes to people Mm -hmm. because i just think of you know shannon she she's my i call her my boss but she's my assistant and when she has something in her life occur with her kids or that's real life like you just treat it like like she's your parent and what you'd want to do and it it makes it so easy 
so easy. Just about every cult brand we've we've heard, right? They've said if you're thinking about people, not investors, right? Not the yeah. not the noise that's out there, but you're focused, you're not distracted, and you understand that your people are the ones who actually service, right? They're the ones who provide. You know, those are the ones who have become the cult brands. hundred percent. Right. So yeah. can you speak to that for like startups? Right. So we've got a ton of startups that we talk to. Yeah. And small businesses. And, yeah. Small businesses. And, you know, they have these investors that are coming to them with yeah. tons of cash and that's all well and good. But what would you say to them about how to actually get a business and have the grit and the determination that you've had yeah. to be able to make it to being a cult brand? Yeah, I think that there's often uh, a juxtaposition between, you know, investors and shareholders and what people think the accountability needs to be, which is generally driven by the bottom line. Uh And actually looking at it through a lens of like, if we simply just do the right thing by our people and then do not accept money or do not work with the bank or have shareholders that do not align with those values, then it's really easy when you say, hey, sorry, we lost money, but we didn't lose any employees or, hey, sorry, we pay people a living wage and actually change the fabric of our community. Amen. But we didn't yes. make 20% EBITDA, you know, like, mm-hmm. like those, that's the best advice I can give. The The challenge I have is inherently people want to do the right thing. Like there's sure there's some shitty people in the world, but the reality is, is 99.9 just want to do the right thing. But then in business, they sort of lose sight of that very easily. And I don't understand it. Pressure. Uh, yeah. It's, Weakness it's, and pressure, not end so broken. Yeah. Like the way some you know CEOs or leaders or whatever treat their people it's disgusting and and my frustration is is that it's like they they walk in the door of business and all of a sudden turn into this like monster and I'm like what if you just treated everyone in your company like your kids or your dad. brother and sister or your dad <laughs> then 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 it's like holy sh- like that's it it's just easy you know like the hardest thing to do for sure for anybody is fire somebody but then you get into business and they're like oh blah blah blah, and they're like really cruel about it and for us it's like if we have to let somebody go it's never it's never a surprise never a surprise yeah like when people when it comes to that when we get to that point they're like I understand expectations dude yes I mean yeah, transparency and expectations yeah 100% well James I'm being told that we're out of time oh my god! but I want to say we really appreciate you sitting down for anyone who wants to know about you when you're coming to the US where could they go find that out yeah fiascogelato.ca is the website Uh, handle on any social media is fiascogelato don't get us confused in the US with gelato fiasco that's for another podcast Uh, (laughs) fiasco gelato it's crazy Um, and then personally just James Bocher on on all platforms and uh, if you want to see the the talk from last year uh, head over to the cult gathering website and it's it's on there and and uh, feel free to let me know how uh, how it moved you my only regret is we didn't get to talk about why an ice cream company in Canada is a good idea. We'll save that for another show, yes. maybe. I love it. Pull them back in for another show, because I think that could be an entire yeah. How much therapy did you have, or have you had a psych- yeah. psychological review? Here's the trick. It's not about gelato. Nice. Ooh. Mm. Boom. We're going to leave James. that out there. All right. Later, man. Cheers. Hi, I'm Emma. Thanks for listening to my dad, the Chad, and his buddy Cheese. This has been the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Be sure to check out our sponsors because their money goes to my college fund. For more, visit chadcheese.com. How much do you understand the future of finance? 
I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.